Now, <laughs> this friend of mine is not, there's, there's, is not a person of faith. Bible, God, Jesus, church, bring a friend. These are not on his radar, okay? But I'm assuming that he saw something on the news and he thought, that's what I'll talk to Derek about, okay? <laughs> so he says, it's really crazy what they did to the Pope. Behind the scenes, I have no clue what he's talking about, okay? I don't, like, follow the Pope on Twitter. Like, I don't, I'm, I don't know what he's talking about. But I say, yeah, you're telling me, <laughs> right? And then we just kind of like, well, and then we go into our homes, and I feel like in both of our minds, we dodged a bullet, you know? He went in and was like, I did it. I spoke on his terms. And I was like, I don't know what he's talking about, and I'm not even going to look it up, you know, that kind of thing. So it is kind of funny sometimes what people think they have to talk to me about uh, versus what they're totally allowed to talk to me about. Um, but the Pope thing was pretty funny. I still to this day have no idea what he's talking about. So, but I hope the Pope's okay. <laughs> and my question for you is, have you ever been asked about your faith before? Like someone coming up to you and asking a question about uh, your faith. Not a random person on the street, like a survey or something like that, but someone that you may know right? And this person may or may not be a person of faith or part of any church tradition. Have you ever been asked about your faith before? There is the old adage, we don't talk about religion or politics, which is interesting because I feel like that's all we talk about right now. You know, this was the rule for Thanksgiving back in the day. We're coming over, but we're not talking about these two things and everybody's happy, but it seems different now. Most of us are in a world that is very comfortable talking about these things. And most of us, I think, when it comes to faith coming up in conversation, we're just hoping that it never comes up, right? I mean, if you're honest, you don't want that to come up. You don't want it to come up at work. You don't want it to come up in some sort of debate. Um, But sometimes it does. And when it does, there's another question that's hanging in the air. And this is, I'm speaking to people who are Christians uh, for this few minutes here. There is another question that hangs in the air, and that question is, how do I sound when I respond? You know, if someone comes up to me and says, okay, so I have a question about this in the Bible or something in the church, how do I sound when I respond? Like, what is the tone of my answers? When I give my two cents, how does that person feel? And in our text today, Um, we get some instruction on this. Uh, There's not a lot of places in the Bible, this is one of the very few places actually, where it even talks about how we should talk about our faith. It's not really a thing. But we do get some very interesting and profound and beautiful uh, insight uh, in this passage that we just heard read from 1 Peter. I'm just going to focus on uh, one statement in here uh, for this morning. And it goes like this. Peter writes, Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an account of the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Got it? See you next week. (laughs) Some background and setting is important here. Uh, This is a letter that Peter wrote in the middle to the late first century to a bunch of churches in what is now Turkey. And in some circles at this time, what we know from history is that 
the Christian faith, the followers of the way of Jesus, um, it's not, it was not always a welcomed new religion. Uh, in some circles, it was even seen as a joke religion. It's no religion at all. If you want to just have some fun, you can dig back into some of the old Greco-Roman writings, and when they talk about Christians, they use the term atheist. It's a mind blower. You're like, why are they talking about the atheists? And then you learn that, oh, they're talking about Christians because they saw it as a no religion at all. It's kind of a joke. Why would you worship someone who died in this crazy story that you're telling about resurrection? Well, that's for another day. It's kind of a joke, among other things. And so in some circles, the recipients of this initial letter are living in a very unwelcoming environment uh, for their faith. It's taking, uh, in some ways, this new religion was taking away from the more civic-oriented religions of the day. Now, the larger setting for the whole letter is suffering. You probably heard that as Kendra read the text. If you suffer for doing good things, uh, Peter says, that's good. You should. You should be happy about that. If you're going to suffer, make sure it's for doing good things and not bad things. But the larger setting for the whole letter is people are suffering. People are, it's difficult for them. And Peter's audience was experiencing some of this, mostly in a social sense. Some some ostracizing was happening. And the other thing to remember here at this time, we live in a country that, at least on paper, uh, faith and politics are separated. Church and state are two different things. But in the ancient world, they're the same thing. There are civic temples of worship. There are you worship the Caesar. One of the fastest growing religions in the first century was the worship of Caesar. And so politics and religion, it's all the same thing. And so when these new religious people come along and they're talking about this Jesus, et cetera, et cetera, there was some ostracizing going on. And what Peter speaks to in our text today, in this one verse that I've read, it, it is about those times when his readers found themselves in situations when they were asked about their faith, confronted about it, about their beliefs. And he gives, this them, he gives them this very short but profound insight. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands of you an account of the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. I want to point out just three things in this one verse for you today. I have three points. Can you imagine that? I usually have no point. Just rambling on. Um, But the first is this. And these are, I feel like these are very important, so pay attention. The first is this. The defense that Peter is asking his readers to make is a defense of their hope. Do you see that in the text? When you are asked to give an account for the hope that you have, be ready for that. Give a defense of the hope that you have. Now, the word for defense here that Peter uses is the word apologia. Uh, The word apology comes to mind. And it means something like a thoughtful, informed answer to a question. A proving ground, even. Some versions even use the word answer. Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have. 
Now, if you grew up in a church that was fairly nervous about what people believed or didn't believe about the Bible, these churches exist, I don't know if you know this, where the, the leadership has a, like a weird, in need of therapy kind of disposition where everyone has to agree with them. If, are you tracking with me? Okay. If you grew up in this kind of church where there's a general nervousness about where people stood on certain texts and teachings and theologies, you might be familiar with this apologetics culture. These people who spend their time and energy trying to prove everything, usually that they believe. This apologetics culture. And usually, there's good intent in that. It's good to have debate, but there's also this underlying fear. And so we gather up all the things that we can so that we can come to the battle with all the information, right? Well, I'm not so sure that Jesus uh, really walked on water. Ah, I've been studying that and I have some charts and graphs for you, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing, you know? And here's why you're wrong if you don't believe what I believe. But the defense here that Peter is talking about is not charts and graphs. It's not when Jesus will return. It's not the end times eschatological maps and charts. It's just about the hope that you have, the hope of the resurrection, this thing that is supposed to be animating the life of the church in our world and in our relationships, that hope. People should be more interested in why you're hopeful than why you're right. And so Peter says, always be ready to give that defense, which implies live as a hopeful people. If we back up into chapter one of this letter, that's the call, that you and I would be a, quote, living hope. Those are the words that he uses. So that's the first point. The defense that we're making is about our hope. Number two. I mean, I'm doing it today. Number two. Are you, are you impressed? The readiness that Peter encourages, and this is important, the, the whole being ready, is it points to an engaged faith, not a disengaged faith. An engaged faith, a breathing faith, an experiential faith. In church and theology world, we talk about to, let me just put it in very simple terms. There's the stage and there's the lobby, okay? Um, the stage on a Sunday is tidy. It's neat. It's planned out. It's thought through. I know y'all find this hard to believe, but I spend time on these. I write things down, I think, and I pray, and I wrestle with, and I throw a lot away, and then I come up here with things to say, but I'm not making it up as I go. These are things that I'm with throughout the week, and then I speak them to you, but it comes across, it's put together. We're not just making songs up as we go, right? It's not one of those situations. They're planned out. There's a tidiness to the stage, and there's also this like theological tidiness, too, you know, there's our liturgy that we do and we speak things that are theological and there's doctrine and all that sort of stuff. There's the, there's the details of the faith that are more presentable and tidy and all of that sort of stuff. But then there's the lobby. 
which is, and we don't have new posters up, but let me just make some up. Um, some of these are in the bulletin, so this will apply. Um, there's the lobby, which is a poster about, hey, we're going to the homeless shelter in June. Join us for that. Or there's a class happening. Or there's groups forming in people's homes. Do you see what I'm saying? There's the tidiness of this, the altar. And then there's the lived experience of faith in the lobby and in beyond. The lived experience of faith is an engaged faith. It's one thing to come and to sit in a, in a church service and listen to the songs or listen to what I say and go, agree, don't agree, agree, don't agree. Fine, that's fine. But what Peter is talking about is the lived experience of hope. It's why community and discussion are so important to the life of faith. That's where we work things out. That's where we hear differing opinions and views. That's where we shape our faith. And so the readiness that Peter encourages here is to a faith that is engaged. You know, it's very difficult when asked a question about your faith, particularly about the hope that you have, and you haven't thought about it in six months, which is why we're all hoping we're never asked. You know? Hey, I've been thinking about this. What do you think? And you're like, I have no clue because I haven't been exercising that experiential muscle in my faith. I can tell you what Derek said. Maybe if you can remember those things. (laughs) It's always scary when people come up to me like, hey, four years ago you said, and they quote me. And I'm like, what did I say? (laughs) So. Number three. The response Peter mandates, and this is the most important piece of this verse, the response that Peter mandates is a gentle response. Gentleness. The word he uses here is the same word in the Greek for meek. As when Jesus said, blessed are the what? Meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness And listen to this. Meekness is this disposition of patience and understanding, of openness even, of not feeling any need to get the upper hand in any situation. This applies to all parts of our lives, by the way, not just faith. Meekness is content with never being believed or validated. Meekness... Those who are meek are comfortable with people's uncertainties and doubts, even criticisms. The meek are okay with that. They can deal with that. And what Peter is saying here is this. As you and I pay more and more attention to Jesus and how his life is informing our lives, the result should be Not a louder, more abrasive faith, but a gentle one. Amen? One that is more gracious in a culture that may or may not be all that interested in such things. I may have said this before, but I feel like people age in two ways. They get more gracious or they get more angry. And I think in faith it's the same way. It breaks my heart to watch pastors, 
that I'm friends with and Christians that I know, as they get older, they become more angry. It's really about a fear. There's a fear there. But it does break my heart. But it's also a check for me because I think the sinful part of me would do the same thing. I think anger is just such an easy route for all of us. But gentleness is the mandate here. And I find that Christians can be less gentle when they are afraid or when uh, they're struggling even with their own faith. So arguing becomes a form of therapy. But I also find that those who are not Christians can be just as angry, just as prone to argue and to poke fun or to say something disparaging about people of faith. I don't know what this next point really means for you, but I don't think Jesus would approve of our online behavior when it comes to religious discussion. I think that he would just say stop. Mostly because it's ineffective. But also, it's not gentle, you know? And you know who I'm talking about. Maybe it's you, I don't know. It goes either way. The anger that we present to people over issues in non-personal spaces is pretty unhealthy. It also doesn't look good for any of us, especially for the church. And I think sometimes with Christians, anger is disguised as conviction. He's really convicted. Yeah, but he's kind of an ass. You know? I know that I can be that way. You can be that way. We can all be that way. But Peter is here saying, hey, if you're backed into a corner, which is definitely the context of this verse, be gentle. Be gentle. You never want to walk someone into faith by winning an argument. When I was a youth minister, I had a rule, and I made the rule after failing at it for so long, and the rule was, the new rule was, I'm not talking any kid to go, going on any retreat because I would do that, you know? There'd be this pressure, like, how many kids you got going on a retreat? I don't know, I guess I'll start begging, you know? Hey, you going on the retreat? I don't know, who's going? Oh, it doesn't matter, it's gonna be great, you should go, you should go. And you talk this kid into going on a retreat, and it's the most miserable experience for them and for everyone else involved, you see? Let me close with this. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi may have said these words because they're attributed to him, so we say may. But he said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Have you heard this before? It's a beautiful statement. And the gospel that he is talking about, which means good news, it is the good news of the resurrection, and it's something that is largely seen in a person's life. To be a resurrection people is to live in such a way that Things like renewal and hope and promise, they're obvious on the surface of our lives. People see it. It's the ancient version of say you're a Christian without saying you're a Christian. That's what it is. It's possible. And the ways that the church is to behave in the world through its calling of grace and mercy and justice are in and of themselves adequate to that task. No words need to be spoken. 
Jesus said something similar in Matthew chapter five. Let your light shine before others so that they may what? See, did I highlight it for you? See your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's largely about the lives that we live and the ways that we respond with a hopeful spirit. But when there are words to say, we speak them gently and with meekness. So the last word today comes from um, a 20th century Scottish scholar, pastor, William Barclay. And he said these words in 1958. There are many people who state their beliefs with a kind of arrogant belligerence. The case for Christianity must be presented with winsomeness and with love. And with that wise tolerance which realizes that it is not given to any man to possess the whole truth. In any presentation of the Christian case and in any argument for the Christian faith, the accent should be the accent of love. Amen. Let's pray. God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.